0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Buenos tardes, mi amigo. Hola, my good friends. Cinco de Mayo on Tuesday. And I hoped We'd see each other again Hello everybody Putos y putets <laughs> uh, It is Mikey Likes You The greatest health, fitness, wellness podcast on the planet it's, yeah, yeah, it's been uh, figured out It's not even, not even open for debate anymore Got that title right there The best um, Today... I welcome a man that I've worked with personally, and I would put him right at the top of one of the smartest people in the industry, and that uh, crosses a lot of industry. When it comes to um, sports performance, I would put him right at the top. When it comes to nutrition, I would put him right at the top. When it comes to bodybuilding, I would put him right at the top. When it comes to um, health and wellness, I would put him right at the top, which is very strange to combine all of those. Usually, you can get maybe one or two uh, if you're lucky, but uh, to throw in health and wellness with those other um, aforementioned um, industries and worlds, it's not it's not typical. Uh, most of the time when someone is a guru, In the world of muscle building or fat loss, they're not typically someone who's going to give you great advice on how to take good care of yourself, how to take good care of your internal organs, how to live a long time, and how to be healthy. Um, But this man, Stan Efforting, he most definitely is. He is probably best known for either being the strongest pro bodybuilder on the planet, but also he's the man behind the vertical diet, a diet that I recommend because, as you'll hear me mention, either in past podcasts or on this one, um, it's not really a diet. It's kind of guidelines on how to eat healthy and control um, and manipulate your performance and your aesthetics. Um, so it's it's really the best kind of bang for your buck, all-in-one nutritional outlook that you can find. Um, Stan is is a wizard, and he's used himself, kind of as a lab rat for over 30 years and has achieved peak levels of conditioning and um, muscle gain as well as becoming one of the best performing raw power lifters on the planet. So this is a man who definitely knows what he's talking about from looking through the helmet. On top of that, he's researched uh, to an extensive, tirelessly researched things to back it all up by science. Objective kind of Um, human trial science, stuff that isn't speculative. Um, And so that's why I really enjoy bringing a guy like Stan on the the podcast. Um, And also, I make it a point to kind of make sure we focus in on the average guy, average gal, Um, even though Stan is six foot six and like 280 pounds of shredded muscle, he has a lot of experience of working with people who just are never, maybe never trained, or have taken a long layoff and they've let themselves slide. And he wants to uh, point them in the right direction to make that physique um, that they've always dreamed of. So don't think that this is just kind of some meathead uh, beat off session. This isn't a circle jerk for the people with five percent body fat and and uh, you know five hundred pound. Bench presses. This is um, something that's applicable to all of you who want to look and feel better. Um, So, without further ado, well, actually, let's take one quick break before we get to Stan Efforting. So, the NFL season is in full swing, and one thing's for sure you're probably not at the game, but that doesn't mean you can't be in on the action. Bet Online has your back. I'm in a weird place right now. Because the Lakers have won the World Championship. It appears as if the Dodgers are on their way to winning the World Series. I'm a season ticket holder for both teams. And if both teams win a championship in a year where I was incapable of seeing them after 40-some years of being able to go to the game and paying all that money to do so, Hmm, it would be very bittersweet. But on a happier note when it comes to sports, you've got game spreads, you've got totals. Teams, players, coaching props, Bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. Listen, it never closes. So, head to BetOnline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Uh, I'm really excited sure. to welcome the une- unequivocal, without a doubt, no, no ifs, ands, or buts not open for debate, the strongest bodybuilder on the planet. Um, he is a man who has a deep understanding of not only training, but also nutrition and physiology. He has been training... Professional college, all levels of athletes for close to thirty years, and he is someone that I have worked with personally and can't recommend enough. The man behind the Vertical Diet and the Cooler, he is Stan Efforting. Thanks for joining me, dude. I
1: have to qualify my world's strongest pro pro (laughs) bodybuilder. Okay, (laughs) since that freak Larry Wheels came along,
0: (laughs) yeah, that's it's so weird. Like, why? I don't know. what is it about especially power lifting, even in comparison to say Olympic lifting, that there's just some people that can make such dramatic jumps, um, and it doesn't seem to necessarily be associated to uh muscle mass or anything. Like there's I'm sure there's tendon strength and things like that, but they're out of the blue there can come along this person who can just hit like two thousand pound totals.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. What we've seen is that the more people that get involved in the sport, you start to see some of the outliers, some people that might have better leverages. Uh, it could just be something as simple as you know the insertion point for tendons and muscles, um, you know, length of uh, limbs. Some people are really good at deadlifting because they have uh, maybe a, a shorter torso and longer arms. Uh, it just it can a lot of it can depend on anthropometrics, and uh, of course, kids are starting to train younger now. And just more of them, you know, the more people that get involved in the sport, you're just going to start to see some of the freaks start to, uh, you know, rise to the top. And that's what we've seen in powerlifting ever since it got a lot more popular over the last 10 years, particularly raw lifting. We've just seen so many people. It seems like every time I turn on Instagram, there's some 20-year-old doing something ridiculous that you never saw before. Do
0: you think that it's – do you think CrossFit is responsible for that? Because I I definitely think, at least with females – CrossFit's super responsible for getting people who would never
1: put a barbell on their back to, to do so. A hundred percent. I've said that many times that, that CrossFit's probably the uh, the largest contributor, women in particular, to yeah. uh, you know more squatting and barbell sports, like you said. You, you used to go in the gym 10 years ago. You'd never see a woman in the squat rack, and now you can't find an open squat rack. They're in there. And plus, what you find is, is that uh, once people start – Pulling and squatting, you know, deadlifting heavy singles—they really get hooked. And so, women in particular now are participating in powerlifting, and maybe both CrossFit and powerlifting, uh, because it doesn't require all the running around and uh, all the, the deep water cardio, and uh, that can be pretty painful. And so, plus there's a lot of immediate improvements, a lot of it's neural adaptation, of course. Mm. Um, but you know, particularly for those people who do have a predisposition, they see such a dramatic increase in their strength when they start training heavy. Uh, and the same might not be true of cardiovascular conditioning. That seems to plateau pretty quickly. And uh, it's not nearly as measurable as uh, you know a big single. And so a lot of those folks migrate towards that. We'll see now, it used to be that you'd have a powerlifting meet and there'd be one, um, one flight of women. And now there's a whole day with Four flights uh, and half of the powerlifting events are fully filled by uh, women. And a lot of those are CrossFit crossovers or maybe that's their side gig, uh, much the same way I did both bodybuilding and powerlifting.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're a, a, a massive man. I mean, you're big even for pro bodybuilder standards. I mean, you're a huge guy, but uh, just by like a cursory investigation into your background, you were a pretty high level high school soccer player I, I can't imagine that you were naturally that big if that was the sport that you
1: were drawn to um, no I was really skinny I wrestled 98 pounds as a freshman and sophomore 106 as a junior and I weighed 115 as a senior when my uh, when I landed in college at 18 years old I was 140 pounds and so wow. I was I was undersized that was kind of my um, you know my initial desire to go and lift weights was just to put on many years, many years. It took me 10 years before I could compete in power
0: And to the to the young men out there that are listening, especially I'm sure young ladies too, but there is such a pull for young guys to want to be big and muscular. And I talked to so many of them via you know DM or tweets or whatnot. And they're like, I hate you, I'm naturally thin. I graduated high school 120, like you, like you. Can, is are you a guy who can say that there is light at the end of the tunnel, even if you're not necessarily
1: genetically, you know, coming out of the womb like Brock Lesnar? Yeah, but it's a frustrating uh, adventure. I never put on like 30 pounds in a month, like you hear some people. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, after two years of lifting, I competed in my first bodybuilding show. I was 158 pounds. And that was, I was training two hours a day. I I was really, really committed. I was getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning and training and going back uh, after school and training in the evening. What I, when things really started to change for me is when I really started committing myself to sleeping and eating, Uh, eating a lot and eating often and on a clock every three hours all day long, every day, packing my meals and taking them with me. I was religious about it. And I actually had to Cut back on my training. At the time, we said, "Don't run if you can walk. Don't stand if you can sit, and don't stay awake if you can sleep." And so I was napping every afternoon, and I was sleeping nine hours a night. I was in bed by ten o'clock, like clockwork. Even when I was in college, when all my friends were out drinking at frat parties, uh, I was just taking you know backpacks full of food to my classes uh, so I could eat, and make sure on on a clock. And it still took a long time, and I hit a lot of plateaus along the way, and got very frustrated. Uh, sometimes for months at a time, I would uh, not be able to gain a single pound or have to fight to hold on to my weight. Uh, hard gainer, definitely a hard hard gainer. Uh, but I was real persistent. I was I was committed. I wanted it so bad. I trained with pro bodybuilders, even though I was undersized, uh, and so I I felt like there was a a vision for me. Aside from the sleeping and eating, uh, and eating being you know a huge component and the hardest part. It's one of the biggest things that, that I do with, you know, Hofstra Burensen and Brian Shaw. It's, that's their full-time job is eating, not the training. The training was the fun part. But aside from eating enough uh, and not over-training, um, I used to think that... that the stronger you were, the bigger you would get. And in fact, in terms of hypertrophy, that was not the optimal uh, training protocol. And I, I didn't learn that for many, many years, but you do need to uh, consider that, that it's a completely different stimulus to be doing heavy singles and doubles. Uh, you might not gain a whole lot of size off of that. You need more volume, more frequency, uh, you know, and, and more of that hypertrophy training. Um, and that's, you know, when I learned that and I was able to start training specifically for size and I really didn't learn the lesson well enough until I trained with Flex Wheeler in 2009 after over 20 years of competing. And that was the first time that I really committed myself to, to his program, uh, and made significant gains that allowed me to get my pro card. And uh, Flex,
0: I mean, one, for those that you don't know, one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, certainly one of the most gifted And you you talk about transitioning from training for strength versus training for hypertrophy. But do you think, because I'm always giving people, especially beginners, the advice to really focus on compound lifts and and progressive overload and, you know, staying in that that maybe the five to six rep range for a time, because you kind of have to build that before you transition over into the higher volume and maybe the deeper rep ranges. Is, Is that something you agree with or? Can you go right for the, the, the higher volume stuff?
1: You certainly need to train hard. And I think people equate heavy with hard. You certainly need to get within a rep or two of failure. Uh, I trained to failure throughout my career. Um, I believe there was a, another level and you had to continue to take your body somewhere it hadn't been before. The biggest consideration is are you recovering from your previous workout? And if you train too heavy and too intensely, particularly if you trash your central nervous system with a lot of deadlifts and low bar squats, uh, which hits your lumbar really hard, it can be very difficult to recover from that kind of workout uh, so that you can get adequate frequency in because you like to train. I mean, what the research is suggesting and what certainly the way I trained throughout most of my career with flex was to do every body part twice a week. And, yeah, that's hard to do, or twice every eight days is kind of where I'm at now because of my age. I just can't re- repair from legs in, in three days. I need a fourth. Um, but if, if you want to have you know an adequate amount of frequency from what the research is suggesting now, uh, you've got to be careful how much systemic fatigue you, you develop. If the, you know, I hate to use the word overtraining because I, I tend to be on the side of undersleeping, sleeping under-eating. Uh, but if, if, it's, if you're really draining your central nervous system, I do think you need to touch some heavy weights. I also think you need to to throw in a couple sets of twenties every week. Um, but it seems that if most of the volume is into that 10 to 12 range and maybe legs 15, just because it's such a large body part quads in particular, um, then you have a better chance of recovering. Most of the studies suggest that the fives and the twenties can provide just as much hypertrophy benefit as the 12s. But those people tend to uh, uh, drop out at a higher rate. They get more fatigue, they don't recover as well. And that's a consideration. But yeah. I certainly think you need to, to, to touch some big weights, multi-joint movements to build overall mass. I think your, your torso in particularly everything from your neck to your ankles is like a, a tube, like a toilet paper tube. If you keep stacking weight on it, you know the toilet paper tube will collapse, your body will adapt. And I was relatively thin, obviously at 140 pounds. If I turned sideways, you know, I was I wasn't very wide. And you keep putting a squat bar on your back, you know, heavy enough, and and squatting it, uh, you know, month after month, year after year, and certainly within a decade, uh, you're going to start to get a lot thicker from chest to back and shoulders. Um, even though so everybody always asks me, what's the best arm exercise? And I always tell them squats and that's just to me, you know, I'm I'm being a little facetious, but to me in terms of just building overall mass, Mm -hmm. uh, that was, you know, the squats were always a big deal to me. That, That doesn't necessarily means it's best for the quads. I mean, Dorian did a lot of leg presses to isolate the quads. Uh, but just as an overall movement, most of those people, all of us got a foundation in the squat rack for Sure.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at because, you know, someone will come back who has done some, a little bit of research and they say, Hey, I was listening to your podcast and you tell me to start mm-hmm. off with, you know, in that five rep range and really progressively overloading the squat deadlift and bench press and everything else mm-hmm. kind of details. And, and, but I was reading that for muscle growth, you know, the, you know, German volume training is better or, or I watched this bodybuilder train in fill in the blank way. And I say, yes, but that person got to that point where they're even capable of training in that rep range with that intensity from years of develop, developing the foundation of putting a squat bar on their back and deadlifting and vice versa, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's a huge amount of variation, of course, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and uh, you know, everything works, but it doesn't work forever. Mm. And you, you do need to incorporate some variety. I think that just sheerly by mistake, because I was competing in both bodybuilding and powerlifting, that I benefited from the suggestions that I make today, the same way Eddie Cohn trained throughout his career, the greatest powerlifter of all time, with over 150 world records, he alternated, he competed in powerlifting twice a year, and in between those meets, he would do a hypertrophy uh, block where he would uh, do a number of movements, rows. Chins behind the neck presses, uh, single leg leg presses, and those kinds of things, and he would progress those movements as well. He wasn't just in there, uh, you know, doing sets and reps for fun. He was actually tracking uh, progressive overload, whether it was uh, you know repetitions or weight. Um, I even include rest periods sometimes as a variable that you can control uh, over the course of a of a training block. Um, but at, at the end of the day, and and I know there's a big, uh, an interesting little battle that went on recently between Mike Isriatel at uh, uh, at RP Strength, who's a PhD in exercise phys, uh, just a brilliant guy, and uh, Greg Duchet, who's uh, got a master's degree in kinesiology, who uh, uh, I think that, that most of the stuff that Mike Isriatel presents uh, talks very scientifically about reps and sets and reps and reserve and maximum effective volume and uh, or maximum recoverable volume and minimum effective volume. And Greg Duchet says, train harder than the last time. And uh, I, you know, I tend to incorporate a little bit of both, uh, but I, I do believe at the end of the day, if, you, if you're not consistently taking your body somewhere it hasn't been before, uh, that you're, it's going to be difficult to continue to progress over time. Uh, but as I started out, I said that, that everything works, but nothing works forever. And so when you plateau, you need to make a change, whether that's picking a different rep range, uh, picking a different uh, uh, multi-joint uh, starting exercise to progress, Uh, um, Picking a different focus for your block, hypertrophy or strength. Um, I think that you should do both. And these are recommendations that I've successfully made to some of the greatest athletes in the world, such as Brian Shaw and Hofthor Bjornsson, uh, to uh, periodize even their body weight, to take some periods throughout your training rather than just trying to gain, gain, gain all the time. You cannot lift heavy all year round. I mean, we know that for, you know, powerlifting and strongman that uh, eventually something's going to give, you'll get injured, uh, or you'll just stop progressing. And I don't think you can stay heavy. I think that if you just keep eating and eating and eating and trying to gain and gain and gain, eventually what happens is you reach a body fat level at which you start to experience some degree of metabolic syndrome, uh, high blood pressure, high blood sugars, insulin resistance, uh, you start partitioning nutrients uh, into fat. You're not recovering as fast. So I suggest that my big athletes, even my uh, pro football linemen that I train, uh, periodize their weight, diet down at least once a year uh, to a body fat level that allows you to become more insulin sensitive, uh, to remedy any potential metabolic syndromes such as fatty liver um, You know, obviously get control of your blood pressure, which I I try and do regardless of weight and time of year. Uh, And then you can uh, rebound and and eat your way back up. I found that to be very, very uh, effective. And of course, I use a particular type of diet recommendation in order to minimize the amount of fat gain when bulking back up. And I have a specific plan for dieting down so you don't lose too much muscle in that process. But uh, and we, we see Mike is from our peace strength doing this right before our very eyes, uh, recently, uh, a little bulking phase by, you know, followed by a mini cut. Um, I don't do them that often. I don't do like a three week bulk with a two week or one week mini cut. Uh, I'll do more, you know, like a three or four month bulking phase followed by, you know, eight weeks of, of, uh, of dieting. And in that, way, I think, that you keep your, your body sensitive, you uh, position yourself to be, uh, to respond better to the, to the bulking, um, and I just found that to be very successful. So I would recommend that for a bodybuilder and a powerlifter and a strong man, as I do, and a football player, to consider that you can't continue to, uh, to push yourself either with the load or with the body weight. Uh, you know, without some sort of correction over time and resensitization of your body, uh, and that's those are probably my primary recommendations in the in the vertical diet. What I was successful with throughout my career and what I now do with my athletes. And I, I think that's amazing advice. And one of the main reasons why
0: it's it, it, I can't even really call the vertical diet a diet. It's just really more health and performance guidelines. um, And that's why I do recommend it so greatly to a lot of the people that um, ask me for diet advice. But And I think that all of that is clearly very effective for these high level athletes. My curiosity is around the regular guy, regular girl who contacts me, who is neither muscular nor lean. And they're, they're starting at that point where they're, I'm not talking about the obese. I'm talking about, you know, the guy who's 5'8", 190, not, not necessarily very muscular or the woman who's in that similar position. So frequently I get the, um, should I just work on cardio diet down and get leaner before I try to add muscle or should I add muscle even though I'm kind of chubby and then try to, and I say, well, as an abject beginner and I don't want to give advice about something that I don't know, but I, as an abject beginner, you do have a little bit more of an ability to do both. And is, is that true, and then how would you recommend working with someone like that who's just, who
1: just isn't happy with their physique and wants to make it better? It is true. There's a whole lot of uh, stuff to unpack here, but if you have a beginner and they start to touch weights, they will be able to add muscle. Uh, you get an intermediate lifter or somebody who's had some lifting experience and they start to diet. It's not likely they're going to add muscle while they're dieting right uh because they're in a calorie deficit they just don't have the uh either the protein or the calories needed to to add muscle at that stage so beginners yeah you know again as you mentioned it does depend on their current body fat level because uh if they're over 20 percent body fat for a man 25 for a woman probably i'm gonna want to have them diet down a little bit i I really want to see some insulin sensitivity but if you're dieting, you absolutely need to lift weights right. uh, so you don't lose muscle tissue. So weightlifting is a that's a that's non-negotiable. I often say to people that you're not on the vertical diet if you're not getting seven plus hours of sleep a night, quality sleep. And you're not on the vertical diet if you're not taking 10-minute walks after two or three meals daily. I just think it's essential for insulin sensitivity and digestion. Uh, and I would say the same thing, you're not on the vertical diet if you're not doing some sort of resistance training. Uh, although I'm, of course, the one that says that, that you know the best, diet, the best exercise is the one you'll do. Having said that, they're not all equivocal. You, you know, the, the walking or the little pink dumbbells isn't going to do much for lean body mass retention. And one of the most important things when you diet is to retain lean body mass. That's great for your metabolism, of course. Um, uh, so, yeah, I have people weight train. Now, here's one of the caveats is that w- when people are dieting, The reason they tend to go off the diet is because they get hungry or they get tired. Mm -hmm. And if they train too hard, A, they're not going to get as big a return on their investment because they're in a calorie deficit. So if you're in there crushing these bodybuilding workouts, you're going to get very little return on that. It's half as hard to maintain, twice as hard to gain. So yes, you should lift, but you don't have to lift uh, nearly as much as a bodybuilder to retain lean body mass. You have to lift harder to gain. There's no question. But to retain, you just need a little stimulus to tell the muscles, hey, I still need you to hang out. Uh, And and I prefer a heavy stimulus, to be honest with you, during that time. Uh, And so what I'm concerned about is compensation. People who go to the gym and start crushing themselves while they're dieting, thinking that that's an effective way to lose weight, the uh, energy expenditure side of the equation, uh, end up suffering from compensation which means you sit more and you eat more you're you're just tired from going to the gym and running around and huffing and puffing and uh you know doing uh battle ropes and uh, whatever else with 10 second rest periods and jumping up and down like a chicken with your head cut off and and that's great that's exercise that's not training and the problem with a a really hard exercise session is is that you're going to go home and you're going to sit on the couch and you're going to get really hungry and when you're dieting that's not a good place to be Right. The energy expenditure side of the equation for weight loss, uh, the exercise activity portion is a very small portion of the calories that you burn every day. Uh, I included a great video from uh, uh, from uh, uh, what's the name of that uh, YouTube site? It is. Uh, uh, I'll come to me, but it, it's it, the title of it is is. It's called The More Exercise Does Not Equal More Weight Loss. I studied this extensively, and doing a ton of cardio is not the best way to lose weight. Hi, sweetheart. My daughter's home doing homeschooling, too. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) How how was the dentist? It was good. How How old are you?
0: Six years old.
1: Oh, my goodness. My son's six, my daughter's eight, and they're home, too.
0: I just got a little undone um, dentist thing, and I had to pull out my tooth.
1: Oh, that's exciting! That's great. <laughs> hey, oh, you better check under your pillow in the morning. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when it used to be a dollar; it's at least five these days. Oh man, really? <laughs> inflation. The inflation with the tooth fairy has gone
0: <laughs> through the roof.
1: Yes, indeed. So uh, we left off talking about compensation. I was just saying that exercise is not the best way to lose weight. It's great Great. for health, but it's really not the best way to lose weight. And it has some potential downsides in terms of being tired and hungry. Uh, So, you know, I I always, I like to throw out percentages, but they're not very important, but I always say that I tell people that 99% of weight loss is is diet, adhering to the calorie deficit. Uh, And, you know, meal prepping is probably the number one strategy that, that, People can do that successfully. And so I always encourage people to focus on how much they eat and to meal prep. Uh, But so that's where I am in terms of, of weightlifting and gaining muscle while in a calorie deficit while losing weight. Yes, it's important, but be cautious uh, what kind of return you're getting and what uh, you know, what the potential downside is of that, but I like everybody to lift weights. And then when you lose enough weight enough body fat and i'm not talking about getting down to 10 percent but anything under 15 now maybe you switch gears try and create a slight surplus increase your volume and frequency build a little more muscle and then continue on that path that we discussed earlier of periodizing your your body weight and your training throughout uh you know throughout your life this is not a you know a race there's no finish line this is a lifestyle that uh that you can pursue for the rest of your life it's very enjoyable
0: yeah sustainability i think is really overlooked you know because people want have like summer shred thing where they can just get to a finish line by a, by a set date. Yeah. Um. You, one of the great things that I appreciated about uh, my time with the vertical diet, and, and I com- completely adhere to a lot of the principles of it now, Um. but was that the focus on health in, within the world of physique culture, which is not something that's, necessarily very common. Um, The use of things like uh, the bone broth and and the daily carrots, daily potato, the the citrus fruit, these are all things that um, definitely have metabolic benefit, but also I think your main concern was a lot of times just taking care of your body, which is not something you see from the bodybuilding world very frequently.
1: No, particularly in the the dieting portion with Mm -hmm. the over-restriction from egg whites and tilapia and broccoli. It's not sustainable, it's not enjoyable, and I don't think it's terribly healthy or uh, any more effective than eating foods that have a lot you know, more micronutrients, and uh, a lot of those people that are dieting for shows end up with a whole host of, of deficiencies that manifest in things like anemia for women in particular, low iron, um, things like osteoporosis even uh, in a lot of these women. I saw it mostly in my runners that I trained at the University of Oregon. The women would start to suffer from uh, uh, shin splints uh, at a much greater degree when they over restricted and their body weight started to come down. And then amenorrhea, cessation of the menstrual period. That's not just body weight, that's influenced by micronutrient density. And uh, a lot of them also suffer from, you know, when they're eating all the egg whites, they end up with a biotin deficiency, and that's for skin, hair, and nails. And so they get dry hair and dry skin and can't understand. Uh, plus they 're generally they 've been told by a guru dieter not to salt their food, which is just absolutely asinine, particularly you know with all the training that they 're doing and the deficit calories that they 're eating and so they end up with really dry skin and hair and then the overtraining the lack of sleep, they end up with hypothyroidism, and then that dry hair starts falling out it 's tragic, but those are you know just a short list of all the problems that commonly occur uh, in that dieting culture and I you know certainly lead with foods that are a lot more micronutrient dense. I keep red meat in the diet, particularly for women because of the iron and the B12 and the zinc. So I keep uh, whole eggs, uh, egg yolks in there for the biotin and the choline, um, you know, for skin, hair, nails, and for liver function. Uh, I keep dairy in there for the calcium. If they can't tolerate milk, we go to a a really quality Greek yogurt that's very low in in sugar and high in protein. much more well tolerated uh, by people, even with those with lactose intolerance can handle uh, depending on the dose. Um, I keep fruit in there, which is commonly, as you mentioned, uh, restricted by gurus. And uh, that's really great for energy. It's good for thyroid function. It's got good fiber. It's uh, low calorie, you know, plenty of water. Uh, So I keep, and I salt the food because people, you know, really feel better. And when you stop eating fast food and you stop eating uh, packaged food, uh, then your, your sodium intake is dramatically reduced, and then your workload has started to increase because you're doing you know more workouts, et cetera. So you do need to, to continue to salt, uh, particularly an iodized uh, salt would be helpful, or an iodine source in your diet for your thyroid function is essential. Uh, hypothyroidism is going to wreak havoc on, on your body and slow your metabolism and uh, cause The hair loss that we talked about. So, yeah, you're right. The vertical diet, you know, it's not just about diet. It's about obviously sleep, uh, digestion, um, you know, hormone optimization. I do have the high blood pressure and high blood sugar quick fix kits where I really focus on controlling those things. So it's health focused first, uh, and then you know, obviously the training and the total caloric intake is going to is going to dictate. Uh, you know, what, what kind of results you're looking for, whether it's gaining or losing or uh, that kind of thing. So uh, I'm quick to say that you can be on any diet and use the, the foundation of the vertical diet. And I've recommended, you know, I have vegan clients. I have uh, carnivore clients. I've recommended keto to people that present with uh, type 2 diabetes, who have Uh, kind of a problem-controlling appetite. I've used intermittent fasting for people for the same reason, with high blood sugars and a a hard time controlling appetite, at least as an intervention to see how they respond and if they can comply better using those strategies, which is what they are, uh, is just strategies. And so, you know, I think that ultimately, whether people are on or off the vertical diet, they continue to pay attention to that foundation of of sleep, you know, micronutrient density, vitamin D3 supplementation. I continuously see uh, people with low vitamin D in their blood tests. And now on the heels of COVID, we've seen lots and lots of research suggesting uh, benefits for immune system and upper respiratory tract infections, et cetera. So it's a foundation that's just sensible, uh, you know, regardless of of whether you're going to nitpick about the, the specifics of the diet.
0: Yeah. And and again, that's one of the main reasons why it's the only quote unquote diet that I do recommend, because I I say, look, if you eat twice a day, if you eat six times a day, you can still apply the guidelines of the vertical diet. If you're keto, if you're vegan, it doesn't really matter. It's not about it's not really a diet in that there is these restrictions of things you can't eat. It's more of guidelines of things that you should be eating to kind of make yourself optimal. When it comes to meal frequency, though, especially with, like, athletes that you train, not necessarily just people that are looking to look better and feel better, is there an optimal meal frequency when it comes to performance versus um, versus uh, aesthetics?
1: There does seem to be, and of course this is a small percentage issue, uh, and it's because your body doesn't have a mechanism to store protein. And if it, if you are training hard and your body goes to make a repair, Uh, and you don't have the amino acids available, then it has to wait. And that's not, you know, a killer necessarily, but it's not optimal. And so consistent with the NSCA and the ISSN and, uh, you know, all of the protein researchers out there, the Dr. Andy Galpins of the world and um, the Brad Schoenfelds, uh, four-plus meals a day seems to be optimal. That's not to say you can't eat two and do just fine, The only suggestion I would make is to train in the fed window. Um, And there's a lot of people talk about whether or not to do fasted cardio in the morning. Uh, It's equivocal, fed cardio, fasted cardio. It's it's the calories for the whole day that matters, not the substrate that you're utilizing at that specific time. But as for training, I recommend training in the fed window because uh, there is some significant research to suggest that uh, that training bout itself is superior if you're fed. You'll get a few more reps, maybe an extra set, um, maybe a little extra weight, and the cumulative benefit of more sets, more reps, more weight is just more results over time. So, uh, But if you equate for calories and equate for protein, uh, for the most part, you're going to get a similar benefit, and some people may find, particularly when dieting, that some sort of time restricted eating, skipping breakfast or skipping dinner, and I've got to be honest, I suggest skipping dinner uh, because you're more insulin sensitive in the morning. And so you, you could eat a larger breakfast, uh, and uh, you tend to be less insulin sensitive as the day goes on. And, and this is, I'm really in the weeds here as far as right. what's important. Uh, but if you're going to time restrict, um, then uh, my suggestion is that, that you see how you respond in terms of satiety that's where some people who do keto and intermittent fasting see a benefit not everyone but some people who tend to overeat just because they're hungry which gets us right back to compliance which is one of the key components to to long-term weight loss maintenance is just whether or not you're hungry Uh, I've always said compliance is the science and if I can control hunger if I can control appetite I'll utilize whatever strategy works for my clients and if a keto diet uh, or intermittent fasting helps them to be less hungry and just eat less what they call ad libitum, just when left to their own druthers as opposed to, uh, you know, strictly controlling everything for them. Uh, some people do respond well and, have, and are just less hungry on that kind of protocol. I do as well. If, if I uh, restrict carbohydrates, I tend not to be as hungry.
0: Right. Um, I, I will. I, I really appreciate you joining me. And this has been so informative and, and so helpful in so many ways. And now I will end with something very selfish. What yeah. do you, Stan Efferty, recommend for a guy like myself who has a, a pretty thorough knowledge of training and nutrition, but I just struggle with forearms and calves? What's, what's, the, what's the go-to for a guy like me if I came to you and I said, Stan, put some inches on my calves and forearms?
1: Yeah. Well, I've always had good forearms. I've always deadlifted a lot. The the gripping was important. Uh, but in the uh, strongman world, they do a lot of forearm curling exercises. Now, calves, on the other hand, I was not very gifted with calves. I had always extremely tiny calves. It was always the worst body part for me. Uh, a couple of things with calves. One, um, the soleus is two-thirds of the lower leg mass. And so you'll definitely want to do seated calf raises uh, just like any other body part twice a week, 10 to 20 sets uh, per week um, uh, within a rep or two of failure with a variety of rep ranges, heavier, lighter, middle. Um, but one thing in particular with the seated calf press is, is if you can get the your feet closer to your ass, your knees out over your toes, you tend to isolate the soleus and not Utilize the uh, gastroc as much, and then uh, occasionally have somebody help you with some negatives, push down really hard, and then you do the obviously the concentric portion of the movement. Those are all good things. Most importantly, I bought a seated calf press and put it in my garage just so I would train them twice a week, uh, whenever it was convenient for you, and right. sometimes three times a week. I didn't. I didn't care. Uh, and then, of course, the gastroc as well. Doing the standing calf raises, there is no magic to reps and sets. They respond quite similar to any other. And I've I've sat down with PhDs and exercise phys and drilled them on these questions, and uh, and they said they don't really have a, uh, they can't particularly pick out uh, one advantage over the other in terms of slow twitch or fast twitch and rep range. They, they like any other body part. They want you to train them all. Do some heavy. Fives, do some light 20s, do some eccentric stuff, uh, you know, just keep pounding away, but um, definitely do both seated and standing. Definitely uh, change the loads um, and always at least twice a week with 10 to 20 sets within a rep or two of failure. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I, can't, uh, I can't tell you how much
0: I appreciate you joining me and all the amazing info. Uh, cooler.com with a K. Uh, If you would like to check out Stan's uh, awesome product, which is the only cooler within a cooler I've ever seen. Um, It's really fantastic and very, very useful product. Then also StanEffording.com for anything going on in his world, particularly the vertical diet. And also if you're interested in personal online training, which is something that I I did with Stan and I found it incredibly useful. Um, Is there anything else I could leave people to before I let you go?
1: Yeah, I've got a ton of free content out there. My YouTube page, Stan Effording. Uh, I've got the rants, and those I get a lot of great feedback from people all over the world that they enjoyed. You know, I put a lot of time and energy into those. It's all free content that you can watch. Rhino's rants, uh, just uh, spill through them. There's a lot of things that we discussed today, and a whole lot more we didn't. Uh, and then um, my Instagram at Efforting, also, I try and post some reasonable stuff. My entire vertical diet uh, in a seminar, a two and a half hour seminar, is on. YouTube in Iceland with Hofthor. I think you just uh, search by uh, just Iceland uh, Stan efforting and it'll probably come up. It's the completest seminar. Uh, over 6 million views now. And people have watched that in its entirety and, and learned a, a great deal about what my methods and philosophies and uh, uh, the vertical diet is. My wife was concerned when we posted that on the internet that I was giving away the entire vertical diet for free. Uh, but in fact, it dramatically increased the purchases of my ebook uh, because uh, you know most people when they watch a two and a half hour video they don't remember everything and then uh, they want to see everything all spelled out with meal plans and grocery shopping lists and you know macro and and micro counts and so, so all that's obviously in the ebook but lots of free content out there I hope people will enjoy. Thank you so much, Dan. I really do appreciate it. All right, brother. Thanks for having me on. Hey there. Summer's over,
0: right? Fall is upon us. And with so much changing, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time. You know what extra time I'm talking about? You time, baby. The time you need to take care of yourself. Look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even my problem, those under-eye bags, baby. It's all gone away in minutes and those results will last for hours. You can try a six-application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit tryplexiderm.com and use the code Believe. Again, that's tryplexiderm.com and use the code B-L-E-A-V, believe, at checkout. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Thank you so much to everybody who has subscribed to this podcast. Please tell a friend. I want to grow it. I really do. I believe in this podcast. I care about it very, very much. So download, subscribe, and help me make it grow. Um, and of course, thank you so much to Stan Effording, staneffording.com. For all the information, also follow him on uh, Twitter and Instagram. He is at Stan Effording. And in this crazy mixed up world that makes you think that nobody cares, remember, I do.